Good morning and welcome again to another episode of Contextualize. Uh, it is uh, Monday morning, but we're actually recording this a couple days beforehand. So it's Thursday morning here with me and Jim. Uh, but Jim, how, how are you? It it feels like a Monday it on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're both kind of tired. Yeah, we actually talked this week in our internship meeting. Like, it'd be nice to do a podcast someday when we're just not feeling it. Like, what would that be like? Let's just do it when we don't want to. And we walked in. You turned out to be quite prophetic. <laughs> the, the office this morning was multiple of us are up here in the upper room, and it's just like dead silence. And I think we all have different things in our own maybe homes or you know just whatever that could be sleep anything but it's it's good to talk about god's word when we're not hunky-dory even yeah yeah absolutely yeah and And we don't have the covid right there's no mysterious symptoms right 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 we're just good clarification we just have blah right i've just i've underslept a little bit for two nights in a row and woke up with a headache and tired and (laughs) So this so. this AJ goes out to all you who never get to sleep. We have insomniacs in our church. We have families with newborns. I mean, so yeah, yeah. It's something about wading through the fog in the morning and yeah. saying, "Well, what's going to be the anchor today?" Man, fog—that's a good word, and the anchor of the Lord in His Word. So, so however you guys are doing this morning, we're. Uh, yeah, let's look at God's word together and, and see what He's got for us. So, yeah, this is. Let's just look at this text. This let's, cool. let's just jump in. So, we've we've been in Acts. We've been marching through, and today we're really going to look at the end of chapter four, starting in verse thirty-two and up through chapter five, verse eleven. And so, if if you're familiar with the names Ananias and Sapphira, that's that's where we're at today. But um, yeah, Jim, maybe you could just kind of open us up here, kind of where are we at in the in the whole story of Acts and kind of what, what takes place in these verses we're looking at today. So we've started over the last six weeks looking at the Spirit comes, the person of the Spirit comes and falls on the church, and the church is declaring things with boldness. You have the believers experiencing a community of repentance. Then you have individual stories in chapter 3 where there's healing and, again, there's more preaching. And so then you have persecution, which is what you and Clinton talked through last week from chapter 4. Um, and just the the brazen boldness, not necessarily uh, the obnoxiousness, mm-hmm. but just the, yeah. again, calm boldness Persistent. of, of yeah. the, the apostles, the disciples. And so we now come to another one of these summary passages at the end of chapter 4, which sounds a lot like chapter 2, right. um, but things have happened between then and now. And you just see great grace is upon the church, um, that they're of one mind and heart, and they're presenting their gifts to the apostles to distribute as any have need. So that, again, it's a community of mm-hmm. repentance and faith, but it's a community that's sharing life and you could say it this way. It's another one of those really beautiful summary passages in in Acts, mm-hmm. and so that's ch- the end of four. And I can right. I can get into five because it's re- I won't say much yet, but it's really important that that we study God's word contextually because in some regards, this glorious picture at the end of four, it, it there's some trials, some yeah. shocking things that happen in early chapter five, yeah, and then absolutely. we read in five eleven. Now there's great fear among the church too. Yeah. So quite a interlude in 32 to, to whatever at the end of 4, 37. 37. Yeah. Um, but then the, it, we are just seeing the narrative keep going. 
Right. And that's life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one, this is just kind of a, a side note, but a detail. Uh, if, if you look at Acts 4 that you notice in verse 36, says this Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas. And so we, we get to meet Barnabas and he, you know, he comes up later in the story, but it's just interesting. Like this is where he's introduced and, and he's, uh, you know, verse 37, he sold a field, brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet like others were doing. Like they're, they're just bringing things to the apostles and entrusting them to distribute to the community, the church as they have need. And that really that uh, commendation of Barnabas sets up really the, the condemnation that follows after that. Yeah, the the verbiage in thirty five again in thirty seven are um, you know they they would sell lands or houses and they would lay it at the apostles' feet and you have this letting go description yeah um, and before we get into the other the condemnation section this reminds me of some of the philanthropy work that I'll do in nonprofits. Um, you know, if you're a nonprofit and you rely on the gifts and the donations of others, you should be really paying attention to who gives mm-hmm. and when they give. And one of the things that's most exciting in the realm of nonprofit uh, philanthropy is when somebody you don't know gives a first-time gift. Uh-huh. And, of course, we don't know if it's a big amount to that person or a small amount sure. to that person based on we don't know their resources, but we don't know who they are. And they yeah. just lay resources at the feet and say, use this. Yeah. And so it's often fun. And when I do the contracting work with nonprofits to encourage, how do we track that down? What can we know about the person? Of course, if it's a large plot of land or something like that, that's when everybody's eyes pop out of their head saying, hey, did you notice that somebody just laid something at our feet? Who are they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes that a first large gift usually indicates a future relationship that will majorly impact a nonprofit's existence oftentimes because someone has capacity and their first gift that they lay down is just huge. Um, I think that's cool to see. That's almost what Barnabas does here. Yeah. Like he comes onto the scene. We don't know what he's right. doing. Right. Just but nowhere. God's yep. at work in his life and he just lays it at their feet. And now we get to watch a relationship be forged with the apostles that will last throughout the rest of the New Testament functionally. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really interesting way to think about it uh, there with Barnabas. Um, and, you know, as we jump to chapter five here. I think just it's helpful, you know, you've said it before, Jim, um, to, to wrestle with the surprise in a text or to, um, I think that's how you say it. But, you know, when, when we see something surprising, we need to think on it. We need to notice it in the text. And, I mean, I, just honestly, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, what happens, the, the judgment that the Lord gives to Ananias and Sapphira, for me, and I think for most of us, like we're just reading the story, it's not what I expect to happen. Yeah. that That's... I don't know, like I, I, you know, we've seen things before where, you know, there's these calls for repentance and, you know, in a sense, you're kind of like, why, why did the Lord here choose to execute judgment and putting Ananias and Sapphira to death here instead of extending repent, you know, an opportunity to repent for them. Um, And so it's it's just interesting to see this and it's, it's shocking, uh, surprising uh, for us to see this. Um, so I don't know any any thoughts on yeah I'm, just I'm what's looking going at the narrative here so just to, in case you're driving or whatnot and you don't have the story in front of you Ananias and Sapphira they sold a piece of property and they kept some of the proceeds for themselves and then when they laid it at the feet of the apostles they conveyed that it was all of it 
And so you have God then chooses to cause Ananias to breathe his last breath. And then his wife comes in. She knows about it, but she acts as though she doesn't. And the same thing happens mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's great fear. So God essentially takes the life of two, two individuals in the church who lie. Yeah. And they hold back for themselves what they are conveying to everyone else. This is our gift to God. Okay. So that's what happens. Um, gosh, what do I think? Well, first of all, God is God. Mm-hmm. And what God does is holy mm-hmm. and righteous. Right. And who are you, O oh man, to evaluate the mm-hmm. way that God chooses at times to extend grace and convince and convict a liar or a coveter and show mercy and give that person the opportunity to repent and turn? Who are you, O oh man, to judge when God also does not give that opportunity of repentance and turning to someone, but he judges them righteously? So this is super hard. Um, God will be God. Secondarily, um, the deception of the human heart is the issue of sin. That yeah. is presented all through Scripture. Man's heart is deceptively wicked. And in its grossest forms, we seek to deceive others, to think highly of us when we're actually uh, seeking to deceive them. And so yeah. um, this is intentional deception. Right. right. But I think thirdly, something that jumps into my head at least is, as a pastor, I hear all the time, I have heard all the time, there's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Yeah. And they're just oh, separate yeah, gods. Right. They're separate gods because the God of the Old Testament was full of wrath. And one of the surprises here is in the earliest part of the Acts of the Apostles where Jesus is continuing to do his glorious work, God smites two of his own yeah. who are living in deception and denying him his glory. Yeah, That is a consistent picture of what we see through Scripture, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever the case, Lot's wife looked back, you know, whatever. You you definitely have here a challenging text for a person who believes that the God of the New Testament is only nice and loving, and Uh and by love we mean... Accepting. Whatever we want it to mean, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God's just nice. Yeah. Um, So it's a very confronting text early on in the life of the church, especially to those who have that perception. Man, that's, that's so good. And, um, you know, I think something I've grown in in dealing with the question you bring up there is really when we, if you actually read the Old Testament, spend time in it, you, you do see that the wrathful, um, holy judging side of, of God, or, you know, you see, you see those that on display. But, I mean, God's grace, God's love, God's faithfulness, all that's on display beautifully in the Old Testament too. It's not... Tremendous like, mercy. Like, we, 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 I don't know. We just distort the message when really Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same story. It's the same God. It, he, he is both just and holy, and he's loving and merciful. Yeah, so the challenge, this isn't our content this morning, but God is a unity, right? And one of the things we'll talk about, here's a little plug for our worldview development night when we talk about love thy body, is just... The world want we tend in our flesh to be dualists. We mm-hmm. want to separate the physical from the spiritual, right? Uh, in lots of ways. Yeah, I think it's easy for us to just read this and we feel comforted to, to be dualists to say, well, the, that God, in His description of Himself pre Christ, was bad and mean and scary, and now the God that I like is the God uh, of, that revealed Himself in Jesus, who's nice and 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 yet Jesus called the world wicked. Jesus yeah. said essentially, right. um, you. You will be judged. Um, you hate me. Um, but the, the God of the Old Testament, as you just referenced, is full of mercy. Even to yeah. see 
evidences in the book of Exodus where I think of Egyptians who actually became God-fearing. Like yeah. They saw the, the pride of Pharaoh. They mm-hmm. saw the rejection of the one true God by the power that was coming through the plagues. And there's evidence that there were people who were not Israelites who realized there yeah. is a God. The Israelites' God is powerful and he's the creator. And yeah. so you, it's, yeah. not, it's not lacking in right. the Old Testament Absolutely. to see that there are people who submitted to God's glory, repented and turned and acknowledged his one Godness and experienced his mercy. Yeah. His rescue. They got to leave with the Israelites. So there's, it's both and in both places. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get into it for time's sake right now, but um, just, you know, for, for our listeners, um, I'll encourage you or invite you um, sit down sometime this week and read these verses, 432 to 511, and then go read Joshua 7. Um, and it's really interesting to see the parallel. And I'll just set it up a little bit. But in both of these places, you have. Uh, really, God's people receiving His promises. So, uh, in the church, receiving His Spirit and, and the blessings of that, and in um, Joshua receiving the land that God had promised to them, and they're at the same time they're receiving those, they're experiencing some external success. But then Joshua seven and then Acts five one to eleven, both of these display some internal challenges, uh, the the purity. Uh, not only the the external stuff, but the the internal, the purity, the heart, the sin, and God's reaction in both of these places. God, what God does is very similar. So, just encourage you to check that out. But um, there's one more thing I want to get to um, in this text, um, and that's uh, you know one of the the emphases that's given here uh, in verse three. Uh, Peter says, "Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit?" So he's lying to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, he goes on to say, you've not lied to man, but to God. So again, equating the Holy Spirit and God. The Holy Spirit is God, we see here. And then um, finally, verse 9, uh, Peter said to her, uh, this is Sapphira, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And so I think just you know, one thing we see here, um, emphasis on the Holy Spirit, um, the, the Godhood of the Spirit, like he is fully God. Um, but then the second thing, and this is what I w- would just like for us to talk about for a few minutes, is the personhood of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're lying to the Spirit. They're testing the Spirit. Um, he, he is a, a he. He is a, a person. Um, and so w- what do you think about that, Jim? I mean, I think it's a text that's going to, it bolsters defends, clarifies, you know, the historic doctrine of the Trinity that we have one God in three persons. And it's not just a role. It's not that there's one God and sometimes he shows up, you know, like a spirit. Sometimes he showed, you know, no, they're separate persons. Um, Interesting. um, People lie to each other. People Mm -hmm. speak truth to each other. So you, because God the Spirit is a person, there's the assumed interaction as though personal Mm-hmm. interaction and so persons get offended yeah right um that's what we have going on in the text is this is offensive to the apostles this is offensive to the church as people did bring all that they sold and did live with integrity and this is a this messes up a community if someone lies to mm-hmm. others the issue and why the judgment is what it is according to the text is not because Jim lied to AJ or Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles. It's because they 
they directly denied the spirit of God and the spirit is yeah. a person and the spirit will respond to the offenses uh, directed at the spirit. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, I don't That's know good. that I can say more than the fact of the matter is mm-hmm. um, how we relate to people mm-hmm. is evidence of being created in the image of God and God, the spirit is one of the persons of the Godhead. Therefore, how we relate to one another is is a micro picture, although it's messed up and it's totally right, different, but, but it's a micro picture of how we're relating to God. And that yeah. that's what's on display here. The Spirit of God has been offended and lied to. Yeah. And again, we I haven't preached it yet, but each week we try to connect to the text that maybe we preached a few days earlier. And this upcoming Sunday, or the Sunday past, by the time you hear this, is going to be, Paul says, you know, I don't care what others think of me. I don't care what I think. It's the Lord who judges me. And Paul is going to actually lean into that with freedom. But there's another side to that. If it's the Lord who judges me, the Lord's a person. Mm-hmm. And he knows me. Yeah. And he will respond in relational or consequential ways like people do, like yeah. parents do. like mm-hmm. you know. And that's what's on display here. That's, that's so helpful. I just think, you know, when we think of persons, we think of relationship, interaction, communication like right that's you were talking about like we relate with other people in those ways and so uh, obviously god is different than us but that personal element is still there he is a he is a person in, in this text we see this spirit is a person and um i just know um some from my background growing up but also just from interacting with others um sometimes you know we we think of god the father like yeah he's a person god jesus yeah he he's a person i relate with him the spirit and it just kind of gets mysterious or ambiguous um hard to define sometimes we can more uh, talk about or even treat god the holy spirit like he's a an impersonal force or know, just just kind of something like that yeah and i think that you have god the fathers in in in, in glory, right? Right now, Jesus the Son is physically resurrected and ascended, and he's at the right hand of the Father. The spirit of the person is God's presence, God's personal presence yeah. in us and among us. So God the Father, according to the Scriptures, is not in us and among us. We relate to him through the Son who's standing beside him, And the way we do so is interacting with the person of his spirit that's been given to us. And so, which again, it's meant to be comforting. It's meant to be gracious because the spirit is going to convince us and convict us not only of the truth of what Jesus came to declare, but also what Jesus accomplished for us. So it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, But you have a jealous person Mm -hmm. in God, Mm -hmm. the father, and you have the spirit of God being one with the father. And so you have the spirit is the one being lied to and he's jealous about that and addresses it in a righteous, in a righteous way. So, yeah. And I'll I'll just, uh, let me try to close with this. I think, um, just encourage our listeners to to think about, um, today and throughout this week, think about the fact that God, the spirit is a person that you relate to. Um, that's individually, but it's also corporately as the church we relate. And so we can think about, the reality that the Spirit gives us new birth. Uh, that's what, you know, think about John 3, that the Spirit does that work within us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit teaches us the things of God so that we can have understanding. Um, the The Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4 is said to, you know, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, he's talking about communal sin there. Like, we can grieve Him. Uh, we can sadden Him. 
Um, the Spirit convicts us of sin. He leads us in truth. He um, guides us in the scriptures. He's written the scriptures through, through um, his prophets. And so um, I think that's just, it's very helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you all to think about um, God the Spirit is, is the, the third person of the Trinity that you relate to. And, and you know, one, one of the things we haven't mentioned, but love, love is a personal thing. It's a, it's a, it's a relational thing. So the Spirit loves us, you know, and, and so... I think it's just just helpful to remember and, and uh, invite y'all to think on that yeah. this week. And the Spirit is the avenue, and the Spirit is the communication of God to us by through His Word, right? Um, and even just going back to the beginning, AJ and I were both tired. There are days that are like this, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's a comforting thing this morning yeah. to think about the Holy Spirit being a person using God's Word uh, to to communicate God's way to us. And even just looking at 432 to 511, um, who, whose reality governs my day or your day? When I wake up in the morning and I have a day with a headache or just it's a fog, it's just there's opinions, um, there's just not a fun time sometimes to be an adult. Right? It's just not. Yep. Um, yep. I think we're all feeling that. The... We need the Holy Spirit to be the one who speaks truth to us. And we need to be tired and reach out to the Spirit and Mm. be honest and reach out to the Spirit and be angry and converse with the Spirit. And what we must not do is lie to the Holy Spirit Mm. because the Spirit knows our hearts and there's you can't. There's... (laughs) Yeah. So I think that... Yeah, yeah, I just want to link it back to what we said earlier. Like... I'm feeling blah today, but you know what? The spirit needs to be who I communicate with when yep. I'm when I'm feeling blah. Yep. Amen. Amen. Clinton, can you change our outro to sound blah? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's, yeah, it's pretty peppy. <laughs>